Amen. Amen. All right. That's loud. Oh, there we go. All right. All right. All right. Uh, welcome. Hey, uh, my name is Caleb. This is your first time. Um, welcome. This is par- part of what we do at RUF. This is our Wednesday night worship service, what we call large group. Um, this semester, we're going to be working through the book of Galatians, um, verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter. With a uh, four-week hiatus in the month of February, we'll do a, a relationship series, something that I know is on y'all's minds um, as you're in college. And so part of our UF, we're somewhat required to do it every three or four years. And so we'll spend the month of February talking about marriage, dating, singleness, and friendship. Um, and so we'll do three weeks and then that, and then go back and resume our study through Galatians. Um, just another reminder, please, if you came in late from the game or something, um, scan that QR code. Um, in there, you'll find a sign-up for bowling so we can get a head count of how many lanes we need to reserve. Um, but most importantly, sign-ups for small groups, which will begin in a few weeks, led by both students, and then a few options uh, led by our staff. Um, let me pray, and then we'll read our passage, which you'll find up on the screen or also in the bulletin, um, and jump in. Um, God, we do now come to your word. Um, maybe for some of us, uh, come come to it with fresh eyes, um, come to it skeptical, maybe come to it knowing that it's the words of life, and we need you to speak um, and breathe and encourage and strengthen. Lord, many of us come into this room disrupted. Would you use your word tonight to comfort those? And, and many of us come into this room far too comfortable. And I ask that you would use your word to disrupt them. Um, We love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Galatians 1, uh, verses 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle, um, something that we'll talk more about next week, what that means. One, not for men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that are some who trouble you. There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Uh, Yesterday I was standing in line um, in Akak at Seoul. Um, Not sure your thoughts on it. I think its name should be um, Average Burrito Place. Um, it feels like the lost black sheep relative of Chipotle and Qdoba. Um, but anyway, I was there and I noticed uh, the workers were, were bickering amongst one another and kind of gossiping about someone else, someone that they clearly were upset about, um, not in a great mood. And, you know, it's not like I'm free from this. It's not like, uh, don't hear me say that. Don't hear me uh, 
passing judgment on them. In fact, right now, I, I just started this kind of curriculum, this discipleship curriculum that I'm going through with my wife, and also we have a mentor walking us through it. And one of the assignments that we're doing this week is called the tongue exercise. And in essence, it is trying to help you examine and stop uh, doing, you, you can't do the following for one week. Uh, no gossiping, no complaining, no criticizing, no blame shifting, no defending yourself, no boasting, and no lying uh, for one week. Uh, not good. Uh, have not done too hot. So don't hear me say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing them bickering to one another, and I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm very similar to them. Um, but as I was as listening to them and just kind of seeing the negative disposition and the negative tone that they were espousing, uh, my mind kind of went a million different places, and I walked back after getting my burrito, walked back to my office, and just, just thought about this fact of like, man, this is it. Um, this, this, this is us. Um, this is who, kind of who we are. You know, it's much easier for us to complain. It's much easier for us to talk bad about someone than build them up. It's much easier for us to blame others for our own frustration and sadness. It's much easier for us to have evil in our heart instead of love. It's much easier to be apathetic and hardened towards others. It's much easier to just live for ourselves and our fame and our success. It's much easier, much, it's much easier to reject than to forgive. It's much easier to backstab than build up. It's much easier to lie and to fake it than be honest and authentic. This is us. Those people represented was a mirror of who I am and who we are. You know, I've thought about this of just how privileged we are, all, everyone in this room. We have so much stuff. You know, we are the minority even here in America. Um, you, you're going here to a private institution, getting a top-notch education that most people in this, this world would die for. You carry around phones where you can connect with friends overseas and buy anything that you want, perhaps on your parents' credit card, and um, have it delivered to you in the next couple of days, all, lay, all while laying in bed. I mean, we are an, an unbelievably privileged people. Yet, we are, we are sad, we are lonely, we are unfulfilled. We're clinging on to anything, any narrative, any new story, any friend, any boyfriend, any girlfriend, anything that might give us a slight bit of hope that things are going to get better. In other words, we are lost. You and I live in a world, this is Paul's argument, we live in a world that is lost. We complain, we bicker, we gossip. We're angry, we're negative, we're privileged, and we're ungrateful. You know, atheist um, and author David Foster Wallace, the weeks leading up to his tragic suicide several years ago, he said these words commenting in, a, in an interview of a new book that he had published right before his death, commenting on secular society surrounding him, and here's, what he, here's how he comments on his own crew. He says, there's something particularly sad about us, something that doesn't have very much to do with physical circumstances or the economy or any of the stuff that gets talked about in the news. It's more like a stomach-level sadness. I see it in myself and my friends in different ways. It manifests, manifests itself as a kind of lostness. Whether it's unique to our generation, I really don't know. It's a real American type of sadness. Here I am, white, upper-middle-class, obscenely well-educated, have had way more career success than I could, live, could, have lived, could have legitimately hoped for, and I'm sort of adrift. And my friends are the same way. Some of them are deeply into drugs. Others are unbelievable workaholics. 
Some are going to singles bars every night. You can see it played out in 20 different ways, but it's the same thing. I get the feeling that a lot of us privileged Americans as we enter into our 20s have to find a way to put away childish things and confront stuff about spirituality and values. I don't know if that resonates with you, but our passage tonight, Paul makes sense of this, and he, and he invites us into this life with Christ, a life where we can find joy and satisfaction no matter our circumstances. You know, Paul makes the strong declaration right in the middle of this passage that we are living in a present evil age, but Christ has rescued us from this age. Praise be to God. And so as we look at this, we're going to look through three points. We'll first, first look at God's blessing, and then God's rescue, and then finally God's warning. All right, so God's blessing. Um, a few uh, weeks ago, at the end of the year, um, I was meeting with a, a really wealthy man. Um, part of my job uh, is to raise money, um, raise money to support our staff and my family, raise money to, to get you guys on ski trips and summer conference and do different things here within RUF. And so I was meeting with this guy at the end of the year. People like to give their money um, to get tax breaks and because they're really generous. And so I'm meeting with this man. And part of the weirdness of my job and my relationship with these people is I don't really keep in touch with them that well. Um, maybe I have a few touch points throughout the year. And so I can go months on end without really talking to these people. And so it, there's a level of anxiety, definitely meeting with really wealthy people. Um, like, hey, do you still like me? Are we still like, are we still good? Um, and so I really did go into that meeting thinking that I wasn't going to get any support from him. And the time the, the, the conversation came, kind of small talk was over, and I finally asked him, hey, are you going to be making a gift at the end of this year um, to RUF? And he said, Caleb, I want you to know how proud of you we are and how much my wife and I, we love you. And not only are we going to make a gift, but we're going to make the biggest gift that we've ever made. And like, Every hearing these words of validation, hearing these words of assurance calmed every bit of anxiety that that was within me. You know, to hear these words of love and support, it changed my whole posture, changed my whole dynamic. You know, in every one of Paul's letters, and there's 13 of them, and you can go read this. I was going to put some up on the screen, but it got repetitive. Um, he introduces himself the same way. And he gives us words, the same two words, directly from God. And they were, yes, for the church in Galatia. And when he says it to Corinthians, it's for the church in Corinth and et cetera, et cetera, so on. But they're also for us who are reading these words 2,000 years later, who have faith in the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, according to the scriptures, according to the will of God, who was raised from death. These words are for us, and he declares to us, to you, something really authoritative and calming. It's the declaration of God's disposition and posture towards you. I'm not talking about his disposition and his posture towards you if you come into this place really cleaned up and on a good street. I'm not talking about his disposition and his posture towards you if you're coming together having just absolutely killed it during Christmas break. Man, you devotion every single day. Man, I was just on fire. I'm talking about his disposition and his posture towards you who by faith cling to Christ. No matter where you find yourself tonight, the words from the Lord for you are grace and peace. Grace and peace. 
from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Before Paul says anything else, and he gets, has a strong tone here in a minute. Before he says anything else, before you read anything else, before you hear me say anything else, there's a, there's a message from God and it's grace and peace to you. Now think about the idea of, of a peace offering. Um, when I put my foot in my mouth, when I say something stupid or do something stupid um, to my wife, when I'm offensive to her or rude to her, um, what do I do? Sometimes I swing by the store and I get some flowers and the flowers are, are my sign to her of like this peace offering. I desire to be reconciled to you. Um, this is like a peace offering. You know, the, the, the weeks leading up to, to Christmas, we read these prophetic books. If you attended church at all and you read um, passages in like Micah 5 where it says that Jesus shall be their peace. Jesus shall be their peace. Or you read something like in Isaiah chapter 9 where it says the one born of a woman will be called the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the peace offering. And it's a paradox. Like you should be a little puzzled by that because um, as if I were to offend her, I'd be the offensive party having to go out of my way to get a peace offering to reconcile. But the, the glorious news of the gospel is that we are the offending party. We're the ones who have gone astray. We're the ones who owe the peace offering. But God wants you to know right now, right now as you begin your semester on this night, that I have made a peace offering and we are good. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. I do no harm. Shalom. You know, these words, grace and peace, they are the blessing of God, which is why it's titled this. Um, all throughout the scriptures, you see these, the same sort of thing. You know, at the end of every RUF large group, I get up and I proclaim this passage from Numbers 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he turn his countenance toward you and give you his peace. Grace and peace. The face of God. The blessing of God. The smile of God. The delight of God in you. you know, we have a certain hope. We have a certain future. We have something that helps calm our anxieties. Because we have a certain God who blesses us with himself, grace and peace. And so that's the blessing. Um, so what about God's rescue? Um, you know, one of my favorite stories, uh, one of my favorite movies from 2021 was a movie called Coda. Um, anyone seen Coda? Wow. I thought that like half of you would have seen it. Oh man, okay. Um, it's on Apple TV+. Plus. I highly recommend it. I believe it's going to be up for a lot of awards. Um, CODA stands for Child of Deaf Adults. Um, so it's a story of a girl. I don't know if it's true. It's probably based on true stories of many people. Um, it's, it's about a story of a, of a girl who was raised in a, a, a deaf home, so have, has deaf parents and a deaf brother. And she was kind of um, forced into this life. Um, being the one who could hear, she's constantly the translator everywhere her family goes. Um, while all the same time, she discovers later in her life that she has this real, this real dream and this real talent. She's a really great singer. And this man comes along who notices um, and, and essentially um, kind of saves her from this life of obligation, doing as her parents, not that her parents are bad people, but doing as her parents are wanting her to do, and gives her this out, rescues her, 
gives her this out into this new life. Um, when, when Paul speaks here, he says something really provocative to us. That Jesus has come and he's rescued us. He's taken us out of one, one life. He's taken us out of one place. And he's put us on a path and into this new, this new place, this new creation, this new world. And he uses all throughout his, his letters, he uses different words to describe these two realities. You know, um, or, or Augustine in the 5th century picks up on this theme and he says, this, there's the city of man, there's the city of God. Or you see Paul talk about the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. Um, there is the world, or here he says the present evil age. And there's also um, the, the, the life uh, of, the, of our new creation. He contradicts these two and opposes these two all throughout. One leads to destruction and death. The other leads to flourishing and to life. And this is the rescue plan of God. Um, one of the scariest times of my life, um, on my bachelor party, uh, I had some high school friends that we kind of lost touch and they wanted to throw a bachelor party for me. And so we, I, I, I did. I went. And one of the days we were, we were kind of all, all out drinking at the lake, which is something I grew up doing, both drinking and going to the lake. And we were drinking at the lake and uh, I didn't realize how, how drunk my friend was. And so I really regret doing this. Um, but I was like, hey, who wants to go race to the buoy out in the, out in the middle of the lake? Um, and my friend's like, I'll, I'll, I'll race you. And so we both jump in and, um, I'm not drunk. Um, and so I start swimming and I'm fine. And my friends way, way behind me. And I turn back and, and it's a terribly scary scene. Like to think about this, like just as I was preparing for this, um, just flapping his arms and starts kind of sinking. And, and so I, I, I race back and I swim back as fast as I can and I'm trying to tread water and holding him up. And now I'm at this place of like, oh my gosh, I'm about to either have to let go of my friend and he will drown to death or I'm going down with him. But thankfully, um, our other friends had seen this happening and had gotten on a, a jet ski. And really, as, as I was running out of steam, um, came and, and rescued us. Um, this is a great image of this present evil age, that those in, in the present age, you can come and you can see them and you can come and try to rescue, but you too will go down and sink with them. Someone has to come from above this evil age and rescue you out and pull you out. And this is the image here of Christ, and this is God's plan, his rescue plan that he has done for us. And this is what Paul wants us to see. That we all live in this dark world that is sinking and we cannot help one another get out because we will all go down with them. We need a rescue boat. We need someone to save us. And this is what Christ has done. And Paul summarizes this work with three different ways that Christ gave himself for our sins, that he rescues us from the present evil age. And all this was according to the will of God the Father. Um, just as I had read from 1 Corinthians 15 earlier, um, this is according to the scriptures that he was put to death. And after the third day, he was risen from, from the dead. This is all according to the scriptures. This is according to the will of God. Paul speaks often throughout his letters, um, as do the other authors of other letters, like Peter and James and Jude and John, about the evil present age that, that we find ourselves in. You know, Paul and the, uh, and the other apostles, they use different terms, but they're going to contradict the, the age of the Spirit with life in the kingdom. And one commentator I, I read said that for Paul, grasping the brilliance of God's rescue plan of salvation 
it requires and demands one thing first. It demands a greater awareness of the reality of which man and the world have fallen into sin. I don't, I don't just, you know, we're not just talking about individually here, how you individually have fallen into sin and how God individually is pulling you and rescuing you out of your sin. This is a cosmic thing. This is a world, the story of the scripture is that the world has been turned upside down and that it's being put right by Christ. Paul has a full scope of redemption. It's not just your body and your soul that's being renewed in the image of Christ, but it's all injustice, all evil, all greed, all sickness, all abuse in this world is actually being flipped and redeemed and renewed. You know, the Bible presents a very grim and honest evaluation of humanity in the world that we have created in our rebellion against our Creator. You know, this present age, as Paul describes it here, is dominated by humans' determination unto sin. We are determined to sin. People's determination to live for yourself, people's determination to live for our own glory, people's determination to live for our own pleasure, living by the desires of our eyes and the lusts of our flesh. We live setting our own morality to find our own happiness to do what's right in our own eyes. This is the rhythms of the evil present age. Life in sin is is a life blinded by the powers of of darkness. Um, As Paul says elsewhere, there's a spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience. Those living in the present evil age are living under the rule of Satan. And the Bible is very honest about the path of that life. It's a path pursuing your own good and glory, and it leads you to despair and division and destruction and ultimately to death. You know, sin has um, kind of lost its meaning um, that it once had. Um, maybe people didn't universally call it sin uh, throughout, throughout the ages, um, but really up until a few decades ago, like you guys are, are growing up and are living in a, a society that's much different than the history of the world's ever seen. Um, most people in the world, across the world, knew that they were sinful. Meaning that they knew that there was some sort of moral standard or a moral order out there given by some divine being of sorts. And that my emotions and my thinking and my actions, they don't necessarily line up with this objective authority. In other words, sin is is defined as missing the mark. There's a mark that something out there is given, and I recognize it, and I recognize that I miss it. So I'm in sin. And therefore, there's been for thousands of years a common understanding that I'm in guilt. I've gone astray from my own intention. But now, with y'all, now in the West, it's difficult to talk about sin. It's difficult to come to any agreement about sin. Um, One of my favorite writers and thinkers, Tim Keller, he says this in a, in a little booklet that I've been chewing on lately. He says, for centuries, Christians have been able to assume that everyone around them believed in a sacred order, a transcendent supernatural dimension of reality that was the ground of moral absolutes and promised life after death. All cultures believed in a standard of right and wrong to which human beings were obligated to conform 
regardless of their feelings. They therefore also believed in objective guilt and sin and that the problems of human life are solved when we connect to that sacred order rather than simply live for ourselves. Now, of course, Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and animists disagreed, even violently, over what that sacred order was and rejected the Christian account of it, but everyone agreed that it existed and we needed to find a way to touch it. But late modern culture is the first culture based on a rejection of a sacred order. In the name of individual freedom, today's society de declares that there are no transcendent realities to which we must conform. Rather, we search inwardly and choose our own values and create our own meaning in life. Academic, artistic, and entertainment institutions teach that the only sacred depths are the ones found within. Indeed, if there is a moral absolute in today's culture, it is that we must not say there are moral absolutes, let alone a sacred order with which all people must align. Such statements are said to oppress people and limit their freedom. Past evangelistic strategies assume that nearly everyone held this shared set of beliefs about a sacred order, that there was a God, an afterlife, a standard of moral truth, and therefore a sense of sin. We might call these the religious dots that evangelists could assume in their hearers. Evangelism was simply connecting the dots that listeners already possessed in order to prove the truth of the gospel. But today's culture believes the thing we need salvation from is the idea that we need salvation. You know, if that resonates with you, and the claim of Jesus giving himself up for our sins to rescue you from this present age doesn't resonate with you, can I maybe offer a few challenges from Keller's booklet? He says, you know, you want to be free, but you're not. You know, everyone, we must live for something. And outside of Christ, whatever you live for, whether that's a healthy body, whether you live to advocate for justice, whether you live for fame and recognition, success and happiness, whatever it is, even if it's a good thing, whatever you live for, if you think that it will make you free, it will actually enslave you and it will turn your heart and your mind inward and you will use and exploit others for your own fame and success. You know, you desire unity and diversity, but the existential identity you seek is impossibly fragile and it only leads to excluding others. It only leads to finding people who think and act just like you, the very opposite of diversity. The deep satisfaction you seek, it's elusive and it cannot be found in this world. And the reason you're wired to live for something, the reason that you are wired to seek an identity and, des and you desire diversity, you desire satisfaction, is because you're created by a true God and your failure to live for him is a violation against him and your soul feels it. But the good news of God's rescue plan is that on the cross, you know, Jesus gave up himself. He twisted the power that we thought, we, we, he twisted the way that we thought power worked and he gave up himself for you. He used his power for the service to us in love rather than exploiting us. He took upon himself the guilt in which you and I, in which those who live under the power of this evil age with those who live according to the flesh and its desires, he took that guilt upon himself to bring us peace. 
And when we reckon with this type of love, when we reckon with this type of story, when we enter in and come to grips with this reality, we experience freedom and our hearts are changed forever. We find an identity and a satisfaction and a purpose like never before. This is God's rescue plan through the person and the work of Jesus. You think you want to be free. And so you seek and you search and you look for it everywhere. And it will not free you. As Paul will later say in in Galatians 5, and as we sang earlier, it is in Christ that we are free. For freedom's sake. This is his rescue plan. So what's his warning just a few thoughts here, and then we'll wrap up. Um, you know, the second half of Paul's letter is, is, is pretty intense. Um, he's astonished. And we'll spend time um, kind of throughout the course of the semester uh, really hitting on what was he so upset about? What was it that the people in Galatia were doing? Um, how is it that they were abandoning the gospel? Um, but we'll get there. Um, you know, the, the book of Acts says... You know, Acts is a story of the second, really, or I guess the two, final two-thirds of the book of Acts is really the mission of, of Paul. And so we see um, on his third journey out, he has gone to Antioch, and then on his way back, after spending some time there, he depart, departs and goes to the region of Galatia. So he develops some relationships with these people. And he goes and he pronounces to these people um, that, you know, about, about just a few years after the, the death and resurrection of Christ, Um, That Christ has died according to the scriptures. That Christ was raised according to the scriptures. That Christ has ascended and reigns in heaven. That Christ will come again after putting every enemy under his feet. The last one to be destroyed is death. And he sings and proclaims this gospel message. In other words, he proclaims that living in this evil age will lead us to condemnation and destruction and death. Christ has rescued us is renewing all things. This is the message that he proclaimed in Galatia. And he left. And and he gets wind from his friends. He gets wind that they've abandoned this gospel for another gospel, which he says is no gospel. It's no good news at all. So we'll flesh out exactly what was going on. But essentially, um, the people in Galatia were were doing a few things. They were looking to these external markers, these outward markers, um, these works of the law is one of the terms that he uses, um, whether that's circumcision or the diet that these Jews would, would, would take up, the cleanliness and laws that they would follow, um, the way that they would dress, their observance of the Sabbath, the observance of these annual ceremonies. They would look to these external things to give them a sense of identity as God's chosen people. And they forced the Gentiles who had been brought into the fold of God to act the exact same way that they were acting to observe and to dress and to eat the same way that they were doing. And Paul is angry. You've abandoned the gospel when you do this. So this is, a, this is one of the things that was going on. And the second thing that was happening, and, and Paul will elaborate on this throughout the letter, um, he says explicitly, what began in you by the Spirit are you now perfecting in the flesh? The salvation that came to you by the Spirit, are you now adding to that completed salvation through your works? This is what they believe. They believe that salvation was theirs by grace and that they were to finish it out. They were to work blood, sweat, and tears. 
And this is the lie that seeps in, that God is for me and he has saved me and I've got to keep it up. It's dependent upon my faithful obedience. This is no gospel at all. And this is Paul's warning. This is God's warning that whoever buys into that gospel and whoever teaches such gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be condemned. You are stealing from Christ. And so the question for you is this. Uh, Have you latched yourself on to some form of Christianity that runs contrary to the gospel that's been proclaimed and believed for 2,000 years? Are you running yourself into the ground, trying to seek freedom, seeking an identity, seeking someone to see and say that you are enough and that you are valued? The gospel call is to repent and believe the gospel, that you are free in Christ. That you are his with an identity that stretches beyond the 60 years you'll live here on earth. That you are enough, that he is satisfied, that he is pleased, that he has rescued you and his face looks upon you with grace and with peace because of the finished work of his son on your behalf. Let us pray and sing our final song. God, we do proclaim the goodness of your Son and his work for us. We, we thank you that you have rescued us from this present evil age and brought us into the light. That you have saved us from a path of destruction. That you've made us aware and you've enlightened our eyes and our hearts. And that you've given us a new song to sing, a new, a new life to live a new hope to have, a new, a new community to live with, a new purpose, a new joy. We thank you that you've done these things for us. I pray particularly for those who are facing difficult circumstances, that you would meet them in those, those places, that you would meet them in that sadness, that you would meet them in that despair, that you would surround them with your people, and that you would point them to your son who reigns and who rules and is coming again. Lord, we love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing a final song.